Hello and welcome to Scintillating Stories. In this show we read short stories by a variety of authors. Today we're reading a short story by Richard Matheson. Matheson is best known for his book I Am Legend, which, strangely enough, was adapted into both a movie for Vincent Price, the master of gothic horror, and Will Smith, charismatic action hero. (laughs) He was also well known for writing several stories for The Twilight Zone. Today we're going to be reading one of his short stories. Nightmare at 20,000 Feet Seatbelt, please, said the stewardess cheerfully as she passed him. Almost as she spoke, the sign above the archway which led to the forward compartment lit up Fasten Seatbelt with Below its attendant caution, No Smoking. Drawing in a deep lungful, Wilson exhaled it in a burst, then pressed the cigarette into the armrest tray with irritable stabbing motions. Outside, one of the engines coughed monotonously, spewing out a cloud of fume which fragmented into the night air. The fuselage began to shudder, and Wilson, glancing through the window, saw the exhaust of flame jetting whitely from the engine's nacelle. The second engine coughed, then roared, its propeller instantly a blur of revolution. With a tense submissiveness, Wilson flattened the belt across his lap. Now all the engines were running and Wilson's head throbbed in unison with the fuselage. He sat rigidly, staring at the seat ahead as the DC-7 taxied across the apron, heating the night with the thundering blast of its exhausts. At the edge of the runway it halted. Wilson looked out through the window at the leviathan glitter of the terminal. By late morning, he thought, showered and cleanly dressed, he would be sitting in the office of one more contact, discussing one more specious deal, the net result of which would not add one jot of meaning to the history of mankind. It was all so damned... Wilson gasped as the engines began their warm-up race preparatory to take off. The sound, already loud, became deafening waves of sound that crashed against Wilson's ears like club blows. He opened his mouth as if to let it drain. His eyes took on the glaze of a suffering man. His hands drew in like tensing claws. He started, legs retracting as he felt a touch on his arm. Jerking aside his head, he saw the stewardess, who had met him at the door. She was smiling down at him. Are you all right? He barely made out her words. Wilson pressed his lips together and agitated his hand at her as if pushing her away. Her smile flared into excess brightness, then fell as she turned and moved away. The plane began to move, at first lethargically, like some behemoth struggling to overthrow the pull of its own weight, then with more speed, forcing off the drag of friction. Wilson, turning to the window, saw the dark runway rushing by faster and faster. On the winding edge there was a mechanical whining as the flaps descended, then imperceptibly the giant wheels lost contact with the ground. The earth began to fall away, trees flashed underneath buildings, the darting quicksilver of car lights. The DC-7 banked slowly to the right, pulled itself upwards towards the frosty glitter of the stars. Finally it levelled off and the engine seemed to stop until Wilson's adjusting ear caught the murmur of their cruising speed. A moment of relief slackened his muscles, imparting a sense of well-being. Then it was gone. Wilson sat immobile, staring at the no-smoking sign until it winked out, then quickly lit a cigarette. 
Reaching into the seat back pocket in front of him, he slid free his newspaper. As usual, the world was in a state similar to his. Friction in diplomatic circles, earthquakes and gunfire, murder, rape, tornadoes and collisions, business conflicts, gangsterism. Gods in heaven, all's right with the world, thought Arthur Geoffrey Wilson. Fifteen minutes later, he tossed the paper aside. His stomach felt awful. He glanced up the signs beside the two lavatories, both illuminated, red, occupied. He pressed out his third cigarette since the takeoff, and turning off the overhead lights, stared out through the window. Along the cabin's length, people were already flicking out their lights and reclining their chairs for sleep. Wilson glanced at his watch. 11.20. He blew out a tired breath as he anticipated the pills he'd taken before boarding hadn't done a bit of good. He stood abruptly as the woman came out of the lavatory and, snatching up his bag, he started down the aisle. His system, as expected, gave no cooperation. Wilson stood with a tired moan and adjusted his clothing. Having washed his hands and face, he removed the toilet kit from the bag and squeezed a filament of paste across the toothbrush. As he brushed, one hand braced for support against the cold bulkhead, he looked out through the port. Feet away was the pale blue of the inboard propeller. Wilson visualised what would happen if it were to tear loose and, like a tri-bladed cleaver, come slicing in at him. There was a sudden depression in his stomach. Wilson swallowed instinctively and got some paste-stained saliva down his throat. Gagging, he turned and spat into the sink, then hastily washed his mouth out and took a drink. Dear God, if only he'd gone by train, had his own compartment, taken a casual stroll to the club car, settled down in an easy chair with a drink and a magazine. But there was no such time or fortune in this world. He was about to put the toilet kit away when his gaze caught on the oilskin envelope in the bag. He hesitated, then, setting the small briefcase on the sink, drew out the envelope and undid it on his lap. He sat staring at the oil-gloss symmetry of the pistol. He carried it around with him for almost a year now. Originally, when he thought about it, it was in terms of money carried, protection from hold-up, safety from teenage gangs in the cities he had to attend. Yet, far beneath, he'd always known that there was no valid reason except one. A reason he thought more of every day. How simple it would be. Here. Now. Wilson shut his eyes and swallowed quickly. He could still taste the toothpaste in his mouth. A faint nettling of peppermint on the buds. He sat heavily in the throbbing chill of the lavatory, the oily gun resting in his hands. Until quite suddenly, he began to shiver without control. God, let me go! His mind cried out abruptly. Let me go. Let me go. He barely recognised the whimpering in his ears. Abruptly, Wilson sat erect, his lips pressed together. He re-wrapped the pistol and thrust it into his bag, putting the briefcase on top of it, zipping the bag shut. Standing, he opened the door and stepped outside, hurrying to his seat and sitting down, sliding the overnight bag precisely into place. He indented the armrest button and pushed himself back. He was a businessman, and there was business to be conducted on the morrow. It was as simple as that. The body needed sleep. He would give it sleep.
Twenty minutes later, Wilson reached down slowly and depressed the button, sitting up with the chair, his face a mask of vanquished acceptance. Why fight it, he thought. It was obvious he was going to stay awake, so that was that. He had finished half a crossword puzzle before he let the paper drop to his lap. His eyes were too tired. Sitting up, he rotated his shoulders, stretching the muscles of his back. Now what? he thought. He didn't want to read. He couldn't sleep. And there was still, he checked his watch, seven to eight hours left before Los Angeles was reached. How was he to spend them? He looked along the cabin and saw that except for a single passenger in the forward compartment, everyone was asleep. A sudden overwhelming fury filled him, and he wanted to scream, to throw something, to hit somebody. Teeth jammed together so rapidly it hurt his jaws. Wilson shoved aside the curtains with a spastic hand and stared out murderously through the window. Outside, he saw the wing lights blinking off and on, the lurid flashes of exhaust from the engine cowlings. Here he was, he thought, 20,000 feet above the earth, trapped in a howling shell of death, moving through polar night towards... Wilson twitched as lightning bleached the sky, washing its false daylight across the wing. He swallowed. Was there going to be a storm? The thought of rain and heavy winds, of the plane, a chip in the sea of sky, was not a pleasant one. Wilson was a bad flyer. Excess motion always made him ill. Maybe he should have taken another few Dramamines to be on the safe side. And naturally, his seat was next to the emergency door. He thought about it opening accidentally, about himself sucked from the plane, falling, screaming. Wilson blinked and shook his head. There was a faint tingling at the back of his neck as he pressed close to the window and stared out. He sat there, motionless, squinting. He could have sworn. Suddenly, his stomach muscles jerked in violently, and he felt his eyes strain forward. There was something crawling on the wing. Wilson felt a sudden nauseous tremor in his stomach. Dear God, had some dog or cat crawled onto the plane before takeoff and in some way managed to hold on? It was a sickening thought. The poor animal would be deranged with terror. Yet how, on the smooth, wind-blasted surface, could it possibly discover gripping places? Surely that was impossible. Perhaps, after all, it was only a bird, or... The lightning flared, and Wilson saw that it was a man. He couldn't move. Stupefied. He watched the black form crawling down the wing. Impossible! Somewhere, cased in layers of shock, his voice declared itself, but Wilson did not hear. He was conscious of nothing but the titanic, almost muscle-tearing leap of his heart and of the man outside. Suddenly, like ice-filled water thrown across him, there was a reaction. His mind sprang for the shelter of explanation. A, a mechanic, through some incredible oversight, had been taken up with the ship and had managed to cling to it even though the wind had torn his clothes away, even though the air was thin and close to freezing. Wilson gave himself no time for refutation. Jarring to his feet, he shouted, "'Stewardess! Stewardess!' His voice had a hollow, ringing sound in the cabin. He pushed the button for her with a jabbing finger. Stewardess! She came running down the aisle, her face tightened with alarm. When she saw the look on his face, she stiffened in her tracks. There's a man out there! A man! cried Wilson. What? 
skin constricted on her cheeks around her eyes. Look, look! Hands shaking, Wilson dropped back into his seat and pointed out of the window. He's crawling on the... The words ended with a choking rattle in his throat. There was nothing on the wing. Wilson sat there trembling for a while before he turned back. He looked at the reflection of the stewardess in the window. There was a blank expression on her face. At last he turned and looked up at her. He saw her red lips part as though she meant to speak, but she said nothing, only placing the lips together again and swallowing. An attempted smile distended briefly at her features. I'm, I'm sorry, Wilson said. It, it must have been a... He stopped as though the sentence was completed. Across the aisle, a teenage girl was gaping at him with sleepy curiosity. The stewardess cleared her throat. Can I get you anything? she asked. A, a glass of water, Wilson said. The stewardess turned and moved back up the aisle. Wilson sucked in a long breath of air and turned away from the young girl's scrutiny. He felt the same. That was the thing that shocked him the most. Where were the visions, the cries, the pummeling of fist on temples, the tearing out of hair? Abruptly, he closed his eyes. There had been a man, he thought. There had actually been a man. That's why he felt the same. And yet, there couldn't have been. He knew that clearly. Wilson sat with his eyes closed, wondering what Jacqueline would be doing now if she were in the seat beside him. Would she be silent, shocked beyond speaking? Or would she, in the most accepted manner, be fluttering around him, smiling, chattering, pretending that she hadn't seen? What would his sons think? Wilson felt a dry sob threatening in his chest. Oh, God. Here's your water, sir. Twitching sharply, Wilson opened his eyes. Would you like a blanket? inquired the stewardess. No, he shook his head. Thank you, he added, wondering why he was being so polite. If you need anything, just ring, she said. Wilson nodded. Behind him, as he sat with the untouched cup of water in his hand, he heard the muted voices of the stewardess and one of the passengers. Wilson tightened with resentment. Abruptly, he reached down and, careful not to spill the water, pulled out the overnight bag. Unzipping it, he removed the box of sleeping capsules and washed two of them down, crumpling the empty cup. He pushed it into the seat pocket in front of him, then, not looking, slid the curtains shut. There it was. Ended. One hallucination didn't make insanity. Wilson turned onto his right side and tried to set himself against the fitful motion of the ship. He had to forget about this. That was the most important thing. He mustn't dwell on it. Unexpectedly, he found a wry smile forming on his lips. Well, by God. No one could accuse him of mundane hallucinations, anyway. When he went at it, he did a royal job. A naked man crawling down a DC-7's wings at 20,000 feet. There was a chimera worthy of the noblest lunatic. The humour faded quickly. Wilson felt chilled. It had been so clear, so vivid. How could the eyes see such a thing when it did not exist? How could what was in his mind make the physical act of seeing work to its purpose so completely? He hadn't been groggy in a daze, nor had it been a shapeless, gauzy vision. It had been shapely, three-dimensional, fully a part of the thing he saw which he knew were real. That was the frightening part of it. It had not been dreamlike in the least. 
He had looked at the wing, and impulsively Wilson drew aside the curtain. He did not know immediately if he would survive. It seemed as if all the contents of his chest and stomach were bloating horribly, the excess pushing up into his throat and head, choking away breath, pressing out his eyes. Imprisoned in this swollen mass, his heart pulsed sickeningly, threatening to burst its case as Wilson sat paralysed. Only inches away, separated from him by the thickness of a piece of glass, the man was staring at him. It was a hideous, malignant face, a face not human. Its skin was grimy, of a wide, poured coarseness, its nose a squat, discoloured lump, its lips misshapen, cracked, forced apart by teeth of a grotesque size and crookedness, its eyes recessed and small, unblinking, all framed by shaggy, tangled hair which sprouted, too, in furry tufts from the man's ears and nose, bird-like, down its cheeks. Wilson sat, riven to his chair, incapable of response. Time stopped and lost its meaning. Function and analysis ceased. All were frozen in an ice of shock. Only the beat of heart went on alone, a frantic leaping in the darkness. Wilson could not so much as blink. Dull-eyed, breathless, he returned the creature's vacant stare. Abruptly, then, he closed his eyes and his mind, rid of the sight, broke free. It isn't there. It isn't there, he thought. He pressed his teeth together, breath quavering in his nostrils. It isn't there. It simply is not there. Clutching at the armrest with pale knuckled fingers, Wilson braced himself. There is no man out there, he told himself. It was impossible that there should be a man out there crouching on the wing looking at him. He opened his eyes to shrink back against the seat with a gagging inhalation. Not only was the man still there, but he was grinning. Wilson turned his fingers in and dug the nails into his palms until pain flared. He kept it there until there was no doubt in his mind that he was fully conscious. Then, slowly, arm quivering and numb, Wilson reached up for the button which would summon the stewardess. He would not make the same mistake again, cry out, leap to his feet, alarm the creature into flight. He kept reaching upward, a tremor of aghast excitement in his muscles now because the man was watching him, the small eyes shifting with the movement of his arm. He pressed the button carefully, once, twice. Now come, he thought, come with your objective eyes and see what I see, but hurry! In the rear of the cabin he heard a curtain being drawn aside and suddenly his body stiffened. The man had turned his Caliban head to look in that direction, Paralysed, Wilson stared at him. Hurry, he thought. For God's sake, hurry! Thank you so much for listening. This book can be found online. I'll leave a link in the description. If you want to suggest or submit a short story or a subject that you'd like us to cover, then contact us through our Facebook page and Twitter, and subscribe if you would like to hear more. This has been a Yorick Radio production.